You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Uh, we are going to read from Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is in vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of, the, of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for these words. God, I pray that you would um, show us your tenderness, Lord. Here you, you have given us kind of both a rebuke and a, um, uh, a promise of your remembrance uh, together in one passage. And so I would, uh, I would ask that you would um, let us hear both of those this morning. Amen. Thank you, Nick, and good morning. Um, over the years, I have been asked a question in slightly different forms, but it normally comes something like this. Is it worth following Jesus? Is it worth following Jesus? And like the easy answer to that is to say, like, of course, it's, it's, of course it's worth following Jesus. But the, the, probably the better way to answer that question is with a follow-up question and to ask, well, what would make it worth following Jesus for you? Because then that would give me a little bit of insight as to where that question is coming from. right? Because if it's coming from the place where maybe somebody answers that follow-up question with like, well, I actually feel like I, I'm really drawn to Jesus. I, I, I'm wondering if I, I should be a follower of Jesus, but I'm, I know there's a cost to that. So I, I'm kind of afraid about that. You as a follower of Jesus, is, is it worth following him? Is he all that he says he is? Is, is he trustworthy? And, the, and then I would say, yes. Yes, it's worth following Jesus. Right? If it, but if they answer that follow-up question with something like, well, see, because I was kind of wondering, like, if my life is kind of in turmoil, and I'm, I'm wondering if he can maybe kind of smooth that out a little bit, and maybe he can help me, like, achieve some of the goals that I've set for myself. Uh, maybe he can minimize some of the difficulties that I'm, I'm experiencing. Like, 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 is Jesus worth following? And if that is where the question is coming from, then I, I would have to say, if those are your goals, I'm not really like, I don't know if I would follow Jesus if, that, if that's your goals. Now, it's interesting that this question often sort of arises uh, when somebody is questioning me about baptism, for example. And that makes sense. Like if, if they're going to like decide to make a public profession of, look, I am following Jesus, it makes sense that they would ask the question, is it worth following Jesus? 
And usually in those times where people are asking me about baptism, I ask them, well, why do you want to be baptized? Right? And I've had all men, all manner of answers to that, that question. <clears throat> but uh, um, one, one answer that I had many, many years ago, uh, somebody said, well, I, I, maybe I was thinking maybe if I'm baptized, um, maybe people will respect me a little bit more. And maybe God will give me a little bit of money. Now, I, I, I really actually appreciated the honesty in that, but, but I had to say, like, well, I don't, think you're, I don't think you quite understand what baptism is about yet. So this is not red light, but let's just, let's just talk about it more. And what was crazy is I had the privilege of baptizing that exact same person two years later uh, when they actually did come to, to, to know the Lord. But the point that I'm making is people mean different things when they ask the question, is it worth serving God? Is it worth following Jesus? And this issue of is it worth serving God is like a major one in our passage this morning. So we have been walking through the book of Malachi, as you know, right? And we have said that in the book of Malachi, it is written to a group of Israelites who have been taken out of their captivity in, in Babylon. They've been brought back into Jerusalem. And when they have come into Jerusalem, they have rebuilt the temple. But another thing that is happening within them is that they've begun to have some wrong ideas about God. And we've been saying that the book of Malachi is sort of written to address some of those wrong ideas over the course of six disputes. Right, this going back and forth between God um, and the people of, of, of Israel, where God will bring sometimes charges against his people and then defend those charges while the, the children of Israel are disputing the charges. So this is how the charge uh, reads today, this morning, beginning in verse 13 of Malachi chapter 3. This is Yahweh speaking to Israel, and he says, Your words have been hard against me says the Lord. But you say, so here's the dispute from the children of Israel, how have we spoken against you? Right now, this, uh, I'm going to get a little bit technical just for just a second, just so you can remember something for later on. This is for later on. But the, the verb spoken there, like how have we spoken against you, is reflexive in the sense that it means like we have, sp how have we spoken together against you, okay? So just put a pin in that because you're going to need to remember that later, right? And then Yahweh responds, you have said it is vain to serve God. You said it's not worth it. Like following you is not worth it. And so today we're going to be thinking about the question, is it worth serving God? Is it worth following Jesus? And what we have in our passage is an example of a group of people who say no. That's our first point. And we have a group of people who say yes. Super easy outline to follow, right? There's the, those who say no, and then there's those who say yes. And then we're going to ask the question, okay, how would these two groups of people respond to the follow-up question? Like, what would make it worth it to serve God. So we're going to ask that question as well. So let's first talk about those who would say no. Now, when you're in the book of Malachi, you have to remember that when the children of Israel came back into the land, they were met with all kinds of difficulty. 
Now, it's super exciting that they were liberated from Babylon, super exciting to get back into the land, to be in Jerusalem, but they're still under Persian rule, okay? Jerusalem is like a wasteland, right, that has to be rebuilt from the, the ground up. The surrounding nations are giving them all kinds of trouble with regards to that. And then also on top of that, when the book of Malachi is being written, they are in a drought. There are pests that are eating their crops. All of this is resulting in famine. All of this is causing financial problems. So what we have in this passage is the response of the children of Israel in the midst of these difficulties as they think about whether or not it is worth serving Yahweh. And the first thing they do is they get together and talk about how it isn't. Right, so let's read verse 14 again in its entirety. It says, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So in other words, like, what do we gain by following Yahweh? Right now, there in this verse, at least, it seems that they understand serving Yahweh. There's sort of like two sides to it. There's keeping his charge which in the context of Malachi is probably talking about like the priestly duties at the temple. So at least that's how this kind of phraseology is used in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 35, for example, or in Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 8. So it could mean more generally like covenant keeping, but probably in the context of Malachi, it's referring to the priestly duties at the temple. So that's one side of it. That's one side of serving God. But then there's also the side of walking as in mourning, which is a phrase that's unique to this verse in the whole Bible, right? But seems to reference them wearing black clothes to represent penitence or, or sorrow for sin. Now, when you understand, so that's, that's how they're understanding the two sides of following God. It's like we do these priestly duties at the temple and we wear black clothes, all right? Now, when you understand that in relationship to the rest of the passage and in the rest of the book of Malachi, you begin to get the sense that, okay, what they have done is they have reduced relationship with Yahweh to a set of outward religious activities. That, that, that's what they have done. And now they have even come to the conclusion that that's not even worth it. And so they've, they've come together to discuss these things, right? And then what they do is they point to the lives of the wicked as a justification for their conclusion that God is not worth serving. So in verse 15, we read, and now we call the arrogant blessed, right? And then they kind of fill that idea out a little bit more by saying, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So in the Bible, when you, when you hear it talk, you hear people referred to as the arrogant, right? It's referring to people who believe that they are above God's laws and above his reign. And so the children of Israel, they look at the wicked and they say their lives are blessed, right? In two ways. One, they prosper. That means they have worldly success. So maybe their crops aren't doing as bad. Maybe they don't have as much uh, financial problems. Uh, sometimes this word is used in terms of like them having children, 
So it's generally, the idea is like things are going well, at least worldly speaking, for the arrogant, right? So they're prospering. And in addition to that, they don't seem to be judged as they are actively testing God. So last week we talked about how God invites a certain type of testing where when we are obedient to him, we can see whether or not he's going to come through on his promises. God invites that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. But there's a certain type of testing in the, in, in the Bible that, that God is against, right? Which is this type of testing. Where they, like these arrogant people go around and they say like, oh yeah, right, Yahweh's going to punish us if we do the wrong thing. If we take advantage of people. If we do this or that. Oh yeah, we should be so scared, right? And then, and, and the people of, the children of Israel are like, oh like, oh man, like justice is coming. And then they watch and they watch and they watch and they watch. Nothing happens. Nothing. Right? So the children of Israel, they look at their circumstances, right? And they're like, man, things are going poorly. This is very difficult. They look at the wicked. They seem to be blessed. And then they conclude, I just don't think it's worth serving Yahweh. In fact, I think it might be better if we didn't, because then we might be blessed like the wicked, right? So now, as they're talking to each other about these things, in relationship to the difficulties that they are experiencing, it's sort of a window, isn't it, into their hearts and into their minds, and it gives us an understanding or it helps us to see how they understand certain things. How are they understanding what it means to be blessed? How are they understanding their relationship to the blessed life? How does God sort of figure into that whole sort of equation? Because I think if we asked them and if we said, hey, what do you mean by blessed? They would say, well, that's easy. More of the pleasures of the world less of the heartache in the world. That's what it means to be blessed. And then they would say, well, okay, what's your relationship to that? Well, actually, we're entitled to that because we've been playing along with God's religious game. Like we do all the little stuff that he says he thinks is important, right? We should be experiencing the blessed life. Now, there's a certain sense if you... Read Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy chapter 28 through a very moralistic lens, right? And you ignore, make sure to ignore Deuteronomy 10 about the circumcised heart. Make sure you ignore Deuteronomy chapter 30 about God being the only one who can circumcise the heart. If you ignore those two things and you just focus on Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, see it through a moralistic lens, then you could possibly come up with the idea that they have come up with. Because they are ignoring the heart. And this is part of the reason why I think they're doing that. So just think for a second. They're, they're wearing black. In Malachi chapter 2, their tears are covering the altar. Right? These are two outward signs that are meant to represent penitence. Sorrow for sin. Right? But when God brings charges and says, this is what you're doing wrong, how do they respond? With defensiveness. Right? They say in, in chapter 1, 
How have we despised your name? In Malachi 1.6. How have we polluted you? Malachi 1.7. How have we wearied him? Malachi 2.17. How have we robbed him? Malachi 3.8. Right? So basically, like, why are you busting our chops? We haven't done anything wrong. Okay, if you don't think you've done anything wrong, why are you wearing black? Why are you crying on the altar? I, I think it's because of a certain understanding that they had about their relationship with God. Right? They saw Yahweh as a God who was manipulated through religious activity. He was a means to an end, and that end is what they're calling the blessed life. And so when you ask the follow-up question, well, what would make following God worth it to you? They would say, well, God is only worth following if we experience more of the pleasures of the world and less of the heartache in the world. Now, what's interesting about that is that that means that the arrogant that they're talking about and the religious have the same goals. They've just chosen different paths to get there, right? The arrogant say, yeah, whatever, forget God. And, and, and the religious are like, no, we'll use God as a tool, but they're both aiming at the same thing. And at the end, they come to the same conclusion. It's not worth serving Yahweh. Now, I mean, let, let's just turn it back on us for a second. What do you actually believe, right? We could all pass the theological test on this. What do we actually believe the blessed life is? What do we actually believe our relationship to the blessed life is? What do we actually believe regarding God's role in all of that? What is our core beliefs? Right? And one potential indicator of this, now our hearts are so deceptive that we can deceive ourselves. But one potential indicator is to listen to your inner dialogue and maybe your speech, if you're honest, with, maybe with your very, very close friends and you listen to yourself talk, when it comes to blessing your life and the difficulties that you experience and God, like when you're thinking about all those things together, what are sort of the things that you say to yourself on the inside? What are the sort of things that you say out, outside? Right now, now I, I want you to hear this right. This is not an admonition for you to adjust your speech. <laughs> like we're talking about the heart. Like this is a way, like we're just taking the, the temperature, right? You, you don't, uh, my son Augustine said, you don't use thermometers to heal a wound, right? You're, you're, you're taking your temperature to see where you are at. Where is my heart at in this? There, there are those who say, no, it's not worth following Yahweh. But then there are those who say yes. This is our second point. Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord 
spoke with one another. So here again, we have the verb spoke. It's in the reflexive form, meaning that they're having this discussion together. That's actually not, that aspect of the word spoke is not translated here in the ESV, even though it says with one another, because with one another is actually translating an other phrase that literally means a man to his friend. So these are friends speaking to one another. Now the content of what they're saying to one another is not given to us in Malachi, but we are, I think it's implied and we're supposed to get, especially from these two verbs being put in these places, we're supposed to understand it's the opposite of what they're saying in verse 13. They're coming around each other and saying, it is worth following Yahweh. And then we read this. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. That's two ways of describing the same group. And let's unpack that a little bit. Those who, who fear his name. We've talked about how before, like in the book of Psalms, there's, there's poetry in parallel. Hebrew poetry works that way. So you have one line, and then the second line kind of explains the first line in some way or another. So one way to understand a phrase in the Bible is to see how that phrase is used in, in Hebrew poetry and see how that phrase is, like what's the parallel in the next line. And when you do that in the book of Psalms with the phrase, those who fear the Lord, you learn that those who fear the Lord are the same people who take refuge in God. Psalm 31, 19. They're the same ones who hope in his steadfast love. I think about the first dispute. How have you loved us? Like, like no, they hope in his steadfast love. And then if you look in Psalm 103, 17, you learn that these same people keep his covenant. Now, when you, when you hear keep his covenant, don't just think um, ritualistically going through religious acts. That's not what that means. It means being faithful to their husband, Yahweh, because they love him. And not cheating on him with idols. So that's what it means to fear the Lord. And these are the same people who esteem his name. They love to think about how great Yahweh is and his kingdom is. In opposite, opposite of, of despising his name in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Right? And so what we have in this situation is in the midst of all this injustice, in the midst of all this evil, in the midst of all of this, this personal suffering, this personal Heartache, there is a remnant. A few people in the midst of Israel, right? Paul would probably call them the true Israel in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, who are chosen by God, Romans chapter 11, verse 5, who are coming together to encourage one another in the midst of their suffering and say, it's worth serving Yahweh. 
And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's appearing, where he comes and brings salvation through judgment. And this is it's my experience. In increasing measure with my church family, especially over the course of the last several months. On Sunday morning, yes, but also at Mo and at, and at, and at Book Club, where we come together and we talk about how it's worth serving Yahweh even in the midst of all the struggles that are from without, all the struggles that are from within. And let me tell you something. I, I mean, I want everybody to experience that life. I don't mean going to meetings. I mean experiencing that life. But let me tell you something about this life. Full of heartache. If you, you watch your friends suffering, but then charged with meaning when you join them in their suffering. And that is the blessed life. That is the blessed life. It's different than what the arrogant thought. It's different from what the religious think. And see, when God, he hears those conversations, he, he responds very strongly to them. He takes special note of it. In verse 16, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him. During this time period, the kings, during that day, they would have a book of remembrance put together to recount the deeds of, special deeds of certain people. Right? And you, you see this like in, uh, in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, where King Asherah, Asherah, however you pronounce his name, right? Like... He has, that, he has it read to him, and then it's like, oh, yeah, Mordecai did that good thing, right? And, and so now this is analogically speaking. Like, God doesn't need to write things down to remember them, right? But he says, look, write down, speak, take special note of this, this conversation. Take special note of it. And then he does something else on top of that. He declares them to be his treasured possession, and he spares them from judgment. In verse 17, it says, and they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day, the coming day of the Lord, when Christ appears, bringing salvation through judgment, when I make up my treasured possession and spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. These are my treasured sons and daughters, right? And this same kind of language is used elsewhere when God calls Israel out of all the nations of the world. He says, this is my treasured possession, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, for example, also in Deuteronomy 7, 6. But then, but then the New Testament authors, they take that and they apply it to the church. And they say, this is true of the church. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We are God's treasured possession. And then on top of that, he declares us righteous and he makes a distinction between those who are his and those who are wicked. In verse 18, 
Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. You don't see it now. You don't see it now. Between one who serves God and who does not serve him. And so God delights to hear the conversations of his people. His treasured sons and daughters who are encouraging one another as they experience suffering and they wait for Christ to come. Because he's coming. And he's coming to his temple like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap to cleanse us, to make us ready for the kingdom. right? But then he comes also in judgment. He's got to. Like if he's going to make a kingdom that's worth living in, he has to come in judgment. Because we can't have people who think of God and other people as people to ignore, people to use as tools, people as obstacles to get out of the way, that won't be the kingdom of God. So he has to take, he has to come in judgment for that to be gone. But there's bad news and good news about that. But the good news is that that means we'll experience the kingdom if you're his, but see, all of us have this inclination. We're all inclined in this way to use God, to ignore God, to think of God as an obstacle, to think of people in all those same ways. And that's why we need Jesus to come. And that's why he came. Jesus is, is, is the only person who actually thought it was worth it to follow Yahweh completely. He said, it is my, it's my food to do the will of the Father. Right? And what did that mean for Jesus? Oh, well, it, it, it meant more pleasures of the world, less heartache in the world, right? Jesus was homeless. <laughs> He's homeless, and he goes to a cross. That's Jesus' life, right? And he goes, no one takes my life. I lay it down willingly. He goes to the cross willingly, right? Even as Satan is saying, Hey, I can give you a kingdom without the cross. In the wilderness, he's saying, just bow to me, I'll give you a kingdom without the cross. No, no, no. No, my food is to do the will of the Father. And so he goes ahead of us. He takes on the punishment of our, our sin. And then he gives us a new life. He invites us into a life. But the life that he invites us into it's not about getting pleasures from the world and reducing heartache. It's the life of the cross. But it's a blessed life. So when we ask the, the, the follow-up question, what makes God worth following and serving? God. Knowing God. Fellowshipping with God. And how do we remember that when things get hard? We have friends. And we talk to each other. And we remind each other it's worth serving God. Let's pray together.
Father, we're, we're barely understanding. Please come. By your Spirit, open up our eyes, open up our ears to the beauty of Jesus Christ and draw us to him. Satisfy us with him, God. We pray these things in his name. Amen.